time that we put a bow and we wrap it all up with our theme for this quarter being holy in my weakness. And I'll be honest with you, these wrap-up Sundays in the sermons are maybe the most difficult for me every time. Because I don't like to hear the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. But that's okay. And I don't like to keep going back over the same things and showing everything that I've already said. But I will reference a lot of what I've already said, because this morning I want us to think. Because too often when it comes to these wrap-ups, we might just sit back and say, well, I've already heard that. No, you have. But we're going to think this morning. We're also going to, oh, what's the word here? We're going to resolve. Anietti talked about it that earlier in the year. Where it's the last time we're going to talk about this subject in detail. We're going to make resolutions to do certain things. And then finally, something a little different, we're going to pray. You don't see that happen very often. We're going to turn our attention to a prayer uh, about being holy in our weakness. Uh, and maybe we can make it individually our own in our own little time. As we've talked this year about being in this quarter about our weaknesses, it has been clearly stated that we all have weaknesses. Sometimes we have physical weaknesses, right? Our age, sickness, our circumstances in life that make us weak. But that's not our focus this morning. Our focus this morning is going to be on our spiritual weaknesses. Because we all have them. Because we're all not perfect And so maybe as you've thought about the quarter, I want you to think again, and maybe you've thought about, my biggest weakness is, now you fill in the blank. I don't know about you, but I've thought a lot about that this quarter, and I have been made aware of more weaknesses than I thought I had, right? I thought the biggest weakness I had was impatience. And impatience might still be up there as pretty high on the list. This morning we were looking in Leviticus 19 in our class downstairs. And we read a passage in Leviticus 19 about when the children of Israel would come into the land, they, if they planted a tree, they weren't supposed to take the fruit of it for three years. And then in the fourth year, all of the fruit belonged to the Lord. And then finally in the fifth year, You could eat from that tree. And I thought, I don't know if I could do that. I see that tree right there with that fruit that I planted. And God is telling me I can't have it now. i got to have it later. That's hard for me to do. And we looked at a character. And I want you to turn to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We looked at a character. Michael talked about him. And I talked about him about a person who was completely impatient. A person that completely gave over to whatever his desire was, and he's described as an immoral person, but you know him as Esau, right? And we mostly know him for what he did for his food. But notice in verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And you'll see to it that no one falls to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by many become defiled. And here he is. 
And that no one who is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Because you know afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, it was not there for him, paraphrasing. He couldn't wait to have that. And so he gave up something very valuable. And then when it was all said and done, he wished he could have the valuable thing back. But it's gone. If impatience is your big one, you may give away something that you can never take back. And that ain't what we're supposed to do. Being holy in these weaknesses, recognizing them. Another one that I've thought about with myself is I'm very stubborn. I don't like to be told what to do. In fact, if you tell me what to do, I might actually do the opposite in spite. I don't know if that's you or not. But that's me. That's a problem. And you know why that's a problem? It's because God tells us to do stuff all the time. Our parents tell us to do stuff all the time. Our boss tells us to do stuff all the time. And if I'm so stubborn that it has to be my way or the highway, Man, it's going to be an ugly battle. Consider what happened with the Israelite leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day in Acts chapter 7, and really all throughout the history of the Israelite people, and we might say throughout the history of religious people, that this is what happens. Remember Stephen, he stood up to the people, and he has preached Jesus to them, And he says, he's going to destroy this temple. And they got upset about that. And so he says in verse 51, You stiff-necked people, as stubborn people, uncircumcised in your hearts and your ears, things are there blocking your heart and your ears. You won't let God into your heart. You won't let Him into your ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Your fathers did it. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You think you're so much better than your fathers. But look, they only killed the prophets. You killed the one that the prophets talked about. You had a special message given to you and your people. And you didn't keep it. You refused to listen. And nothing changes in verse 54. Because when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at it. I don't like it when people tell me what to do. But I understand as a Christian, I have to listen. To other people, I have to listen to God. Third thing I thought about, sensuality. And when you hear that word sensuality, we normally think of improper things with a man and a woman. And rightfully so. But that's not the way I want you to think about your sensuality for a second. I want you to think about things that are sensual. The things in which you can touch. The things in which you can see, the things in which you can hear, you can feel, right? And those are the things that become the most important to us. 
It might be the approval of some person. Husband, wife, child, boss. It might be the desire to have more things that I can quantify, that I can touch, I can feel, I can amass. And so with that, we probably recognize, man, I really want to please this person. Or I really want more of this thing. And we're willing to do things for it. I want you to notice in the book of Philippians, in Philippians the third chapter. As Paul has told the Philippians that he hasn't got everything that he is working for and he's striving for. He's given up a lot of things. He's given up his Jewish uh, really ex- excellent work, surpassing all his people, going on, and he's counted all that as rubbish. But he's not perfect, as we've seen in verse 12. I want you to notice what he says in verse 16. Only let us be true to what you have attained. And what he says there is, you've reached some level in your spiritual life. Don't go backwards. You've reached there, now go forwards. We're not perfect, but we're stretching forward, okay? So we've attained that. Now notice what he says now in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Why? For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You see, what had happened is that these people had once been with Christ. They had once been with these brethren, but now they are enemies. And he says why, verse 19. Their end is destruction. This is what's going to happen for them. Their God is their belly. They do what they want, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They're so caught up in the things of this world that that is what drives them, that that is what they serve. And maybe you can relate to that. I know I can. And so he says in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly, and there's our idea of a weak body, our weak body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. And don't forget 4.1, it goes with it. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm. Thus in the Lord, my beloved. There's your being holy in your weakness. You've got all of these things of earth weighing on you. He says, don't walk away. Keep your mind set on the spiritual things. The Savior who will transform this lowly body, even with all its senses, into this glorious body. Another one I thought about, it could be a potential biggest weakness, is anger. Maybe you get angry with kids. Maybe you get angry with the spouse. 
Maybe you get angry at your boss. Maybe you get angry over nothing. And you're just a, an angry person. You, you're always, uh, you know. I used to not think I was an angry person. I'm beginning to think I'm actually an angry person. I always thought I was happy. And by happy, I, not like last week happy, but like I didn't think I was angry. The more I think about it, the more maybe I actually am angry. Because what anger does is anger acts, causes us to act in ways we wouldn't normally act. We become outside of ourselves. We do things that aren't our natural thing to do. But then you find yourself doing that over and over and over again. So Thursday night in our Wendy's class, we were doing Psalm 29, or Proverbs 29. We came across one in Proverbs 29 that basically said, A man of wrath stirs up strife. A man that's angry, he's starting fights. And with much anger comes much transgression. Most of the time, our anger produces no good whatsoever. It produces, as it said in James chapter 1, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's just all there is to it. But I want you to notice what he says, continuing in that chapter, in that, and you know that passage most likely, of let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, right? I want you to notice the next verse, in verse 22, that he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I think oftentimes we deceive ourselves in our anger and saying, I have, and we use the phrase, righteous indignation. I am right in this anger. I am right on acting on this. But maybe we actually aren't right in that. It is possible to be angry and not sin, right? Ephesians 4, back in the Psalms. How many times do I want to actually admit that my anger was wrong? Or am I in that weakness saying, I was right. How dare they cross me? And the more I think about it, the more I think that might describe me more and more. Maybe your biggest weakness is lack of self-control. You spend, you spend, you spend. You hungry, you eat. You're thirsty, you drink. You don't know when to stop. You run your mouth all the time. You do whatever and you can't stop. You get hooked on some hobby and you can't quit or you won't quit. And what you see that does is you see it tears your family apart. You see it tears your mental state apart. It tears your finances apart. And it's all because I couldn't stop. And maybe it's not that I couldn't stop, but it's that I wouldn't stop. I knew I needed to stop. I knew I needed to quit it, right? And so one of the things that is that Jesus really harps on with the Pharisees that we don't talk about often in Matthew chapter 23 is this very idea. When we picture the Pharisees, right? We picture the hypocrites. These people who were so religious and so 
worried about the details, the nth degree of the mint, the anon and the cumin, right? And all of those things, the mint, the anise, and the cumin, that sometimes I think we forget about the life in which they lived. Notice verse 27. Yeah, verse 27. Actually, it's 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. See, on the outside, everything looks, they look great. And maybe they look great because they spent all of this money on their wardrobe. And they spent their times making them look more religious. But he says you were greedy and you were self-indulgent. And that word self-indulgent means you were lacking self-control. Maybe that's you. I know that's me. That's the addict. That's the addict in me. That's the I get wrapped up in things. He says, son, you better get that under control. Verse 26. You blind Pharisee. Don't you see? First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate. That the outside may also be clean. Get it together, son. Clean your life up. Worry about that. Then... How you look on the outside. And finally, in your biggest weakness, or maybe mine, is apathy. And apathy means where you don't care. You just don't care. You could be like me, and you're very apathetic in politics. You don't care about politics. It might be that you don't care about anyone else but yourself. So if anyone else has a problem, don't care, washing my hands of it. Maybe you're apathetic towards God. Yeah, God exists, God is there, but you know what, don't really care what he says. There's probably somebody here or some people here that don't really care. And truth be told, that's a huge weakness, isn't it? Because when we don't care about what God or what anyone else thinks, guess what we care about? Me and what I think and what I feel. And am I going to be devoted and set apart to God when I don't care about Him and I don't care about anyone else? No, because you remember the greatest command, as Jesus said, to love the Lord with all your heart. And to love your neighbor as yourself. If I don't care about them and other people, I'm going to do wrong. And that's what we see in Luke, the 23rd chapter. And we see that with the thieves on the cross, right? Jesus being crucified in between the two of them. They both mocked him. They both ridiculed him, right? But one of the criminals in verse 39 who hanged there, he said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And I imagine that was probably in a pretty sarcastic, mocking tone. But the other rebuked him. And he said, and here's our phrase, 
Do you not fear God? I would imagine that most of us on our deathbed would have some kind of fear, care about God. This criminal did not. Don't care. So calloused in this, he says, do you not fear God since you're under the same condemnation? Don't you realize what's about to happen? And he didn't care. Have you ever tried to convince someone who doesn't care? It's like banging your head against the wall. It's like arguing with a fence post. It is pointless. And maybe I'm an apathetic person and I need to start caring or otherwise I'm going to drift and drift and drift to the point where I'm lost at sea and I ain't coming back. I'm sure there are a bunch of others we can point out. I pointed out six. Now here's what I get to, right? You've got your biggest weaknesses. I've got my biggest weaknesses, right? We're different. We don't have the same ones. The question is then, or the statement that we resolve, is I'm going to do something. The truth is, we're all going to do something. And actually doing nothing is doing something. And so I might decide that I'm going to give up. I've got this huge problem. I can't stop spending, so I won't stop spending. I can't stop cursing, so I won't stop cursing. I can't stop sleeping with someone else who is not my spouse, so I won't. Or I can pray about it. I can say, God, as David did, I sinned against you. I'm going to give you what you desire, a broken and a contrite heart. Or I can say, I'm going to give you a stubborn and a rebellious heart. I don't really care what you say. And there's somebody in the New Testament that the rubber had to meet the road for them. I want you to go to Acts, the 8th chapter. And this was a brand new convert. This was somebody who was not even fully committed yet. They hadn't even spent all of these years, which might have made it easier, or it might not have made it easier. It might have been easier just to walk away here. But in the next eighth chapter, when Simon the sorcerer is converted and he's baptized, the apostles come down and they lay hands on the people there in Samaria. And when the apostles laid their hands on them, they were able to perform miracles. And Simon, who was a sorcerer, and everyone looked up to him in the town, saw that actual miracles were being done. He said, here's my money. Let me do that too. And Peter said to him, you'll remember in verse 20, May your silver perish with you. You thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor portion, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and here it is, and pray to the Lord. That if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven, for I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You're not in control. Your heart is wrong. And remember what he says? Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come on. What am I going to do? Am I going to stick with God? And try to get my heart right? Am I just going to say, nope, 
I'm giving myself to that one. Don't care. I'll deal with the others. Or say, maybe I'm going, I'm going to do something about it. But I'm going to do as little as possible. I want to get by. I want to get by the bare minimum. I want, as in college, a C for degree or D for degree. Right? I just want to get by. That's all I want to do. And you think that makes God happy? That we'd be a, let me get by on the, the hair of my chinny chin chin and we just, we barely? Or as he says in Second Peter chapter 1, I'm going to work harder at it. I recognize that I've been working at it. But man, sometimes you just have to work harder. Sometimes you just have to put in more hours. Sometimes you just have to make other sacrifices because as he says, in verse 4 of Second Peter chapter 1, we've been granted to be partakers of His divine nature. He has made us like Him. He has set us apart like Him. And so for this very reason, verse 5, make every effort. Is that me? That I'm doing everything within my power to deal with my weaknesses. Or am I just doing as little as possible? So again in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, let be all the more diligent. It's time to work. And it hurts. And it's painful. But it's time to work. Or maybe I decide, okay, fine, I'm going to do the right thing. God wants me to do this, so alright. I won't sleep with him. I won't curse, I won't steal, I won't buy that car, you know. And you... Is that what he wants to? Or am I going to willingly give those things up? You know what, God, this is the way you want me to be. And so listen, well, I'm... yeah, it hurts, but I'm happy to do it. Because... That's just the way life is. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5 in the call for this. And we don't have time to look at this passage very closely. But I want you to notice how Ephesians chapter 5 starts before he ever goes into a list of things to not do. He says, first off in verse 1, Be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what God did? He willingly offered Himself for me. That's what He did. So notice what He says in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And here it is. As is proper among saints. Saints don't give in to that. They just don't. It's not proper. It's not fitting because we once walked in darkness, as he says in verse 8, but now you are light in the Lord. What am I going to do? Grudge, complain. And that's why he says at the end of verse 4, you put all these things away such as filthiness and foolish talk and crude jokes which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. You put it away and you are thankful for that. And that gets us to our prayer. Is that in Colossians, the first chapter? 
In Colossians chapter 1, Paul is writing to a group of people that he has never met, he's never seen, he's only heard about them from apparently a prisoner and a fellow worker in Christ, a pastor. And he's learned that they became Christians. And he tells them about what he's been praying for them. And in verse 9 he says, And so, from the day we heard of them becoming Christians, he said, We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Here's what I want for you. I want you to know fully what God would have you to do. And isn't that part of our being holy to God? We want to know what God would have us to do. We're set apart for Him, so we want to know what everything we could do. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, why does He want this? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because if we walk by our normal selves, guess what? We're not worthy. We're Isaiah. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. He says, I want you to know this so that you can be found worthy. That you will walk fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And secondly, here it is with your weakness. And may you be strengthened with all power. I want you to be strong in everything according to His glorious might. He's going to be the one to make you strong. And here's what He wants you to do. For all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks. That's our being holy in weakness. Is that you endure your weaknesses and serve the Lord with joy. Why can you be happy going through those hardships? Because of the Father. You give Him thanks because He qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Because I'm now sanctified, I should be thankful. I don't have to live that way. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So my prayer for you, He says, is that you know so that you can walk pleasing to Him and that you be strong and you stay with Him through all things because He qualifies you. And here's our final word we're going to talk about. He rendered you fit. We did not deserve it. We were weak, but Christ died for the ungodly. He's made us be able to do this. And He will be the only one who will be able to make us strong to the point that we will stick with Him and be devoted and set apart to Him, even with a life full of weaknesses. And I pray that that is the prayer for myself, and that is the prayer for each and every one of us, so that we will be pleasing and live appropriately as inheritance of the saints in life.
You're subject to the invitation anyway this morning. Won't you come now as we stand and as we sing? Oh.